less, I forgot to grab a lapel, so I'll make sure I hang around here um, if you're all right with that. Okay. Well, blessings to you this morning in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And as the bulletin says, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen to that. Um, Lynn, that song, sorry, inspired me. Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not Moses. Okay, I'm not Moses. I'm not claiming to be Moses at all. But uh, I believe bring, bringing the word of God, standing up here, um, I know that I'm standing on holy ground. So, This morning's scripture is from the book of Colossians and was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae while he was in prison in Rome. And according to the scripture, it seems that Paul was not the one who actually um, started the church in Colossal, um, and actually probably never even visited there. Um, but he hears about the Colossian church through Epaphras and others um, who have been around that church and, and know what's going on. And I'm not sure what uh, the Colossian church was really dealing with at that time, but Paul writes a letter to them that has both encouragement and praise and if you read all of Colossians, you'll find that Paul does give some instructions in that letter. Um, but a lot of it focuses quite a bit on um, who we are in Christ and the power of Christ in us. So I encourage you to read the whole book of Colossians. You get a chance. Um, let's do a short word of prayer here. Lord, I just pray that, uh, that what is brought forth from my mouth blesses you and praises you, glorifies you and edifies us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Um, scripture for today are verses 1 through 14. Colossians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. And I'm going to stop reading right there for just a minute because as I as I was preparing for this, um, that caused me to pause a bit um, in in the way that that letter starts. Um, it this this letter starts much the same way as almost all of Paul's letters do, right? He starts out by greeting the brothers and sisters uh, in Christ, and then blesses them with grace and peace from the Father. And this made me think about how we greet each other. You know, typically our greeting is, is something like this. You know, we, we do the, good morning, how are you? And the response is, oh, I'm doing fine, how are you? You know, that's, that's kind of our greeting. Um, it may be a little bit more uh, inclusive in church, maybe or a few more words, you know, um, might be, uh, you know, good morning, glad to have you here, and well, glad to be here, you know, nice to see you. Um, but do we really, do we really have sincerity in those greetings? I mean, is, is that just something that we do? Do we, do we really want to know how that person is doing? And if we're the person being asked, do we really want to share what's going on in our lives with that person? You know? And, and how, do we, how do we deal with that? How do, you, how do we um, go about greeting each other? 
And I think as brothers and sisters in Christ, it should be a little bit easier for us. Um, hopefully, it should be a little bit easier for us to greet each other with blessings and to be willing to open up if we're asked. Instead of just saying, we're fine, when, you know, we have all of these issues going on. Um, I mean, how often do you, does somebody, when you say, how are you doing? How often do they say, well, my life's a mess. And then start rambling on about what all is going on. Not too often that that happens, right? Um, so I think we could probably do a little uh, better job of greeting each other uh, and blessing each other, especially as brothers and sisters in Christ. I encourage you to do it to friends and neighbors outside the church, though, too, and see what kind of responses you get. Um, so today, I'd like to encourage you to do that, um, to share those blessings that you've received um, from Jesus and, and the joy that you have from them. And, and so I think uh, we're actually going to do a practice run here this morning. And uh, we haven't greeted each other for a long time. It's uh, been quite a while since we've actually stood up and actually greeted one another. So I'm going to ask you to stand up and greet each other. But hey, you don't have to shake hands if you don't want to. But this is what I do want you to do. When you greet somebody this morning, I'd like for you to greet at least one person. Um, and you have to use the word in your greeting. You have to either use the word love, joy, peace, or grace. And if you're really bold, you can also include Jesus or God in that greeting. Okay? Let's take a minute. Go ahead and stand up and greet somebody. And use one of those words. Well, the... From, from the looks and sounds of things, I think you enjoyed that, and, and hopefully you had some peace or blessings passed your way, and were able to pass some of those on to others. You know, many churches uh, call that a time of passing the peace, um, and they use those words uh, or something like that um, to share with each other and to pass that on. And, and one of the blessings I get out of it this morning is I get to start with a congregation that has smiles on their faces, everybody. Right, so good to have you here this morning, and um, I'll go ahead and continue to read the rest of those verses now. Starting with verse 3, it says, We always thank God, the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. And that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, 
who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. These verses um, can be separated into two parts, um, basically. Verses 3 through 8 are words of thanksgiving about what Paul hears about the Colossian church. You know, he names the positives as a way of encouraging him for what they've done and are doing. And all of us like to hear positives, right? Um, if, if you're going to uh, have a meeting with somebody and you have to try and talk about some things they need to correct, usually it's good to start with some positives, right? And build them up first before you tear them down. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's good to hear positives. And so, so Paul does that. He, he talks about um, the good things that they've done. Uh, the title of my message is To the Church in Arthur. And specifically, I was thinking Arthur Mennonite when I, when I wrote that title. But um, what is it Paul would say to us in his greeting? How would he finish the statement when he says, We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for Arthur Mennonite Church. Because we have heard... We have heard what about Arthur Mennonite? Hmm. What would he hear about us? What are people saying about us? Maybe I should ask, what are we telling people about us? Are we rejoicing to others about Arthur Mennonite? Or are we complaining to others about Arthur Mennonite? And that's probably a sermon for another time, too. This, these verses talk about having faith in Christ Jesus and love for all the saints. Paul says those sprung up from the hope we have in heaven. And we can find these three words together a lot in God's word. In 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, it says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love, and yet it seems that the words here in Colossians point to our love and faith hinging on the hope that we have. So what is the hope that we have? Is it the kind of hope we talk about when we say, well, I hope it rains today. Or I hope I have enough gas to get that far. Or I hope this rope will hold me. Or I hope I don't forget the keys or the food or the birthday or, or the big one, the anniversary. You know, I hope I don't forget the anniversary. How's that? How is that hope worked out for you. <laughs> that hope hasn't always worked out for me. Uh, I've forgotten a few of those things. <laughs> that kind of hope really gets us nowhere, right? The hope that we as Christians have is different than that hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and his redemption work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. 
Jesus said he's going to his father's house to prepare a place for you and for me. We have hope in Jesus because of his resurrection. The Lord God, the creator of all, raised him from the dead so that we might be able to spend eternity with him. Our hope is built on that resurrection power. The Christian hope is not based on some fairy tale or wishful thinking. It's based on the fact that the Son of God came to this earth and walked among us. You know, it's not some fairy tale. This right here is the truth. It's the word of God. You know, if I do, if, if this is something that really happened. And sometimes I think when we read some of these stories, we, we kind of forget that. We, we see them too much as just stories. And we forget that these were real people. Um, and, and, and to think about how that might be. You know, if, I, if I'd have been born a couple, year, a couple thousand years ago, I could have spoke to Jesus just like I'm speaking to you. So imagine for a minute Jesus walking in the doors of Arthur Mennonite. He comes in, and the greeters are there to greet him, and he comes on in and walks up. Which pew do you think he'd sit in? Do you think he'd sit in the front pew, or do you think he'd be more towards the back? Or I'm not too sure where he'd sit. And if, but he comes in and sits down right beside you. What is it you would say? What would you do? Would you say, good morning, how are you? Think he'd answer by, fine, how are you? I don't know. I don't know. We have to think, I think it's good to think about that, to think about putting Jesus in our lives. Think about how he would fit into those situations. All too often we see him as something out there. Our hope is in a living God. Our hope is in a living, our, our hope is a living hope of the assurance of God's promises. Our hope says no matter what we face, he's with us. And our hope is not dependent on what might happen, but rather our hope is dependent on what has already happened. Our hope is not just for the future. Our hope is for the here and now. In Psalm 25 that was read earlier, it said, To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. In you I trust, O my God. No one whose hope is in you will be put to shame. My hope is to one day be with the Lord. But until then, my hope is that he provides what I need to live on this earth and to do his will. And what I'm really saying in that statement is that one day, I'm going to be in a heavenly home in the presence of God. And until then, I know he'll give me the strength and power to live on this earth and do his will. You know, and I can say that not because of how good I am or how many good works I've done, which in case you didn't know, there's plenty of things God is still working on me. He's still using some sandpaper on me. So I can say that because God has promised it to anyone who believes in him and asks for forgiveness. Has that promise. And God has, prom has proven to me his faithful in his promises. Paul says it is through this hope that your faith 
in Jesus and the love for others makes itself known. Faith and love naturally flow from it. You know, in this text, it doesn't give us specific ways in which they showed their faith or love. Paul just says that he has heard of their faith and love, which makes me curious exactly what have they been doing? Um, Faith and love, those are action words, aren't they? I can say I have faith, but until I actually act on that faith, it is nothing more than words. For example, I I have faith that the bridge I'm about to cross isn't going to break down while I'm on it. But until I cross that bridge, uh, my faith isn't really shown to others. And love is much the same way. I can say I love someone, but until I act on that love, it is nothing more than a word. If I love someone, I will do acts of kindness for them and give sacrificially to comfort them. Maybe something as simple as giving them a coat, buying them a bag of groceries. We sang, um, one of the songs we sang this morning, they'll know we are Christians by our love. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Our love works itself out in actions. My guess is that the Colossian church has been doing tangible things for each other and those outside the church. And through those acts of love and faith, they are expressing the hope that is within them. They're making a difference in the lives of those around them. In fact, enough so that Paul hears about it while he's in prison. In verse 6, Paul goes on to encourage them by letting them know they're not alone. They're part of something much bigger than just themselves. Verse 6 says, All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. He reminds them that the gospel is being shared worldwide. And it's growing just as it is among them. And it's always encouraging to hear stories of others sharing the gospel and and knowing that they are working the same work you are. Um, Being a part of LMC is one way in which we do that. We're part of a larger body uh, that's working together for the same cause and with the same mindset. We're not alone sharing the gospel. Colossians weren't either and we aren't either. It gives us confidence in knowing that there's others out there sharing the same experiences. In verses 9 through 14, Paul gives us a great example of intercessory prayer. And it's a little bit different than than what we think of when we think about intercessory prayer, prayer. Paul lets the Colossians know that he is in a constant prayer for them ever since he heard about him. We often think about inter- intercessory prayer when people are facing difficult times, when they're sick or injured or other things like that. Those, they end up on our, on our prayer list, and, and they're usually brought up during intercessory prayer, which Jeff did this morning and something we do every Sunday. But Paul does this a little bit differently. Paul begins 
what he what he's he's basically telling them what he prayed but he he begins by praying for them for their spiritual lives that they would be filled with spiritual wisdom understanding of god and if we are to fulfill god's calling we need to know god and understand his principles and how do we do that we do that by prayer reading his word Spending time with other believers, and those are just to name a few. These are all things that we should should make a priority in our lives. And I, I ended up looking up some statistics, which I don't always like statistics, but I'm going to throw some out at you. Um, and these are these were taken in 2021, so last year. So they're the most current. If you look at the statistics for Americans, there's plenty of evidence that this should be a matter of prayer. The polls show that 87% of Americans have at least three Bibles in their house. 87% of Americans have at least three Bibles in their house. But only 16%, that's less than 20%, less than one-fifth, read it on a weekly basis. 41% they never or rarely read it. So almost half Americans rarely or never read the Bible. For the first time in our history, church membership has dropped below the majority. It is now down to 7, 47% of Americans being a member of a church. And that number has been on a steady decline since the year 2000. It was up almost 70% um, at 2000, and it has just kind of taken a nosedive since then. And weekly attendance is now down to around 20%. The prayer for a growing church was to have more knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom of God. And I think we need that same prayer for us today. If we want to see these trends turn around, we need more spiritual wisdom to navigate this cultural minefield that we live in every day. The scripture says we need that so we can live a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him. As Christ followers, this is something we strive for, right? We strive to be pleasing to him and, uh, and live a life worthy of his calling. We want to pre please the Lord. The hope and faith within us should create a desire to share that with others. Paul goes on to list um, four items that can help us live that life. He starts with saying, bear fruit in every good work. Bear fruit in every good work. The word of God tells us, in fact, commands us to love one another. And that includes our enemies. And how do we do that? Like I said earlier, by doing acts of kindness, showing generosity to others. We've been commissioned to go and make disciples, to bear fruit in Jesus' name. You know, what good is a fruit tree if it doesn't bear fruit? Oh, it might be nice to look at. It might be pretty. But it's not very helpful in providing life or nourishment if it doesn't bear fruit. A tree that bears fruit provides nourishment to those who partake of it. And, and, and I really hate to disappoint us, but, you know, God wants more than just our, there's a lot of good looking people out here. God wants more than just our pretty faces sitting in church. 
I love to see your pretty faces, but God, God wants a little more than that. He wants more of that, more of that from, from me as well. <clears throat> I read a statement um, as I was studying uh, the word and, and looking at some things. And the statement said, true disciples of Christ, inspired by love, intend every action to bring benefits to others. True disciples, inspired by love, intend every action to bring benefits to others. And I said, oh man, <laughs> that seems kind of tough, doesn't it? I mean, to think about every action I do, benefiting someone else, benefiting others. Do we consider ourselves to be true disciples? If we do, then, then that statement uh, presents a challenge for us. To try and make every action that we do benefit someone. Growing in the knowledge of God is what is mentioned next, and I already spoke to that point a bit. If we want to please God, we have to know what pleases Him, right? And, to know, and how to do that, uh, and how to know what pleases someone, whether it's God or somebody else, we have to spend time with that person, right? We have to get to know them. We have to find out what their desires are and what, what they want from us. We have to have a relationship to be able to understand his will for us. Paul then asks that they be strengthened with the power of God's glorious might so that they would have great patience and endurance. If we are to please God and be obedient to him, we need more than just his knowledge of what to do. We need strength and power to accomplish it as well. God's glorious power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's what we need. And it's available to us. God's given it to us. The nation and the world in which we live in is often not very receptive to the message of the gospel. And who knew that better than Paul? He wrote this letter while he was in prison. He knew that they would need the resurrection power to have the patience and endurance to cope with the challenges that they would face just as we do today. We need this power if we are to live a life worthy of the calling. The last item that is listed here is joyfully giving thanks. How often do you joyfully give thanks? Often you joyfully give thanks to the Lord. What is it that you can be thankful for? Have you made a list lately of all the things you're thankful for? Do that sometime. Just, just make jot down some things that you're thankful for. See if you can do it on one page. I don't know how it is for you, but I know for me, it seems that I can easily find numerous things to complain about. It isn't too hard to, to have a list of complaints, it doesn't seem like. But <clears throat> I'm not so sure that my joyful thanks always outweigh my complaining. I'd like to think it does, but I'm not so sure it does all the time. As Christ followers, that should be our trademark. A joyful heart that is thankful for the blessings we receive. Being thankful also helps remind us 
that we are dependent on God, not just ourselves. Do we cherish what God has done for us through Jesus, his son? In the last couple of verses of this text, we're reminded of two things that we should be abundantly grateful for. One is an inheritance into the kingdom of light, and two is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Those two reasons alone should give us hearts that are overflowing with joy. I believe that the letter to the church of Arthur would sound much the same as it did to the letter to the Colossians. I think there'd be thanksgiving and praise for what we've done and what we're doing. There's a lot of great things that we have accomplished in the 75 plus years that Arthur Mennonite has been here. But there's more work to be done, right? And God calls us to that. I don't know if you realized it this morning, but um, we actually spoke an intercessory prayer for, ourse for ourselves and the world, much like the one Paul just did in Colossians. And we actually sang it in a song. And the song was, Build Your Kingdom Here. I'm going to read the chorus, and then I'm going to go ahead and close with the verses as a prayer. I want you to pay, pay attention to the words as, as, we, as I read this. The chorus says, build your kingdom here. Right here at Arthur Mennonite. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Paul talks about being a part of the kingdom of light. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and our land. Set your church on fire. We need a new, there's a revival going on at the beginning of the week. We need that. We need the Holy Spirit to be fired up within us. Win this nation back. Change the atmosphere. Build your kingdom here, we pray. Let's go ahead and pray, and I'm going to read the rest of these verses. Lord God, we come to you this morning interceding for ourselves, interceding for this town, and interceding for our nation, Lord. We ask that you would come, set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us. Unveil why we're made. Come into our hearts and set them ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now because we are your church and we need your power in us. Lord, un unleash your kingdom's power, reaching the near and far. We know that no force of hell can stop 
your beauty changing hearts. And Lord, you've made us for much more than this. Awake the kingdom seed that is within us. Fill us with the strength and love of Christ because we are your church and we are the hope here on earth. Let the darkness fear show your mighty hand, heal our streets and land. Set your church on fire, win this nation back. Change the atmosphere. Build your kingdom here, Lord. We ask these in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Have a great week.